Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Archbishop Vigano has given us some good insight in a recent statement that was overlooked by pretty much everyone when it came out. It was about Francis's promotions he made to the Roman Curia. In this case, he was talking about the bishops he made into cardinals, which was the big news. You know, Bishop McElroy or McElroy, as I prefer to call him, and some others. The absurdity of those promotions is best illustrated, though, in the person of Cardinal Blaise Supich of Chicago, who had been a cardinal for a long time, but has recently got another promotion that is so absurd that you just have to see it. And we're talking about a man who never saw a clown mass or rock concert mass that he didn't approve of while actively smashing traditional Catholicism in his diocese. Today, I want to talk about Supich and Francis's elevations to the Roman Curia that hit the news a couple of days ago without much fanfare, and compare them to something Vigano said that really shows us the state of things in the church now in our time. So let's get into this. There is something deeply ironic about Cardinal Supich being named to the Dicastery for Divine Worship. He was one of the cardinals Francis, in all his infinite wisdom, decided to elevate further. And since being a cardinal is already being pretty much near the top of the heap in the church these days, he gave him and his bunch of buddies, who were also mysteriously friends with Ted McCarrick, promotions as well. And Sue Bitch was named the dicastery that oversees the liturgy of the church, and especially religious orders and traditional priestly fraternities. Whether Francis is really on his way out and into retirement is sort of moot when it comes to this, since these dicasteries will have these wicked men in place long after Francis is gone. But there is a reason for this being really ironic, and it goes to what Supert said here a few months ago about what Francis was doing with the traditional liturgy. From American Magazine, we get this headline, Cardinal Supich, Pope Francis's Latin Mass reforms are necessary to secure Vatican II's legacy. You see, the Latin Mass is a threat to the legacy and success of the non-binding pastoral council, Vatican II, but this visit video isn't about the traditional Latin Mass. No, this is about something else entirely. You see, in this article, Supich says something incredible. That sounds kind of Catholic, but really isn't when you compare it to his actions, or rather, to his inactions, and is especially ironic given what I am about to show you. From his article in America, quote, Pope Francis, therefore, has issued new guidelines restoring to the diocesan bishop as the moderator, promoter, and guardian of all liturgical life in his diocese, the responsibility of regulating the extraordinary concession to celebrate the liturgy according to its use prior to the reforms of Vatican II. He's doing so in a manner that always testifies to the unity of the Roman Rite, reflected uniquely in the liturgical books promulgated by Pope Paul VI and Pope John Paul II. The bishop is to offer pastoral support to his people who have belonged to communities that have been utilizing the preconciliar liturgy, but he also must keep in mind his more fundamental responsibility as the guardian of tradition to reestablish a single and identical prayer that expresses the unity of the Church in the Roman Rite reformed by the decrees of Vatican II. In the end, it is this more fundamental service of guardianship and unity that is best serves the pastoral needs of the entire local Church, and the universal Church as well. End quote. So, Supich says the local bishop is supposed to be the guarantor of the liturgy in his diocese, the final say on what goes on, and in theory, he's supposed to be the one who holds those accountable who don't conform to what the church teaches about the liturgy and violate the norms regarding the liturgical life of the church. 
And that makes sense to me, I suppose, though I won't address the glaring problem with liturgical relativism that seems to be the logical outcome of such a vision of the role of the bishop in the diocese as expressed here. Instead, there is something deeply ironic about this. Supich smashed traditional Latin masses of all kinds in his diocese, heavily restricting access to it by instituting one of the most draconian policies limiting the traditional mass in the entire U.S., almost as draconian as the policy of Rome. Supich has spoken elsewhere about the need for liturgical beauty and the need for the Novus Ordo Mass to actually follow the rubrics as set out by the church. He needs to remind himself of that because of, well, this. Feast your eyes on this monstrosity that happened on the Feast of Pentecost, one of the holiest days of the year. And it happened in the Archdiocese of Chicago, which isn't really that surprising, all things considered. I grabbed the wand, stirred up the solution a little bit, And I don't know if this is going to work, but it's a good try. Huh? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Oh! <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure this is the first time this has happened at the feet of the cross of new life thankfully i cut that short before you saw the awful rock concert complete with the priest dancing to the terrible terrible music but the photo on your screen for those watching on youtube is all you need to know about what happened after the bubble portion of that mass and it was a mass notice the red vestments the priest is wearing yes that's how they celebrate pentecost in the archdiocese of chicago Look, it's been a while since I've read the general instruction for the Novus Ordo Missae, but I don't remember there being a part of the Mass where people dance and play Protestant-sounding Christian rock music while the priest dances. Is that just for the offertory, or is it in place of the sign of peace? I'm not sure precisely, but these are the things I've never seen happen at a traditional Mass since I made the switch completely a few years ago. And that is what all is more ironic about selecting Cardinal Supich for that post. You see, he's the one who will be key to enforcing the rules of the liturgy for the church, or he'll be one of the bishops whose job that will be. Now, you and I both know that Francis is really only interested in preventing traditional masses from growing and spreading, and preventing the Novus Ordo from looking too traditional, too rigid, and too pharisaical. So really, Supich is probably the perfect man for the job to finish pushing faithful traditional Catholics out of the mainline church into groups with irregular statuses with Rome. That seems to be the point in doing all of this. But Supich won't be working alone. No, no, he won't. He'll be getting some help from some big players in the Roman Curia. From Gloria TV, we get this headline. Will fear prevail? Francis's possible nominations. The anonymous author has given some inside information about who is getting promoted in Rome. And, well, my top pick for Francis's successor is being given a huge endorsement from Francis. Cardinal Togle will be named to head the Dicastery of Bishops, meaning he's Francis's point man for dealing with the bishops moving forward and with this assignment of new bishops. And he'll be replacing Cardinal Mark Wielet, who is aging out at the age of 77. Additionally, Malta Archbishop Scicluna, or Cardinal Tagle, they're not sure which, may get the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith as well, and both are clearly men of Francis. They're very loyal to him and will continue his work long after he's gone. There are other nominations coming too, many of them laity, to key positions in the Roman Curia, made possible by Francis's recent reform document of the Curia that permits laity to run offices in Rome, something unheard of in the history of the Church. 
Things didn't used to be this way. Archbishop Viganò reminds us of this in a letter he penned on the subject of Francis's new appointments and promotions. And while most of it isn't really suitable to this place, this lengthy excerpt will tell you all you need to know about how far the institutional church has succumbed to worldliness, especially among her ministers. From Archbishop Viganò's recent letter, quote, If we could ask St. Gregory the Great, St. Pius V, Blessed Pius IX, St. Pius X, and Venerable Pius XII on the basis of which evaluation they chose the prelates to invest them with the sacred purple, we would be sorry to answer all without exception that the main requirement to become princes of the Holy Roman Catholic Church is holiness of life. Excellent particular virtues, erudition and ecclesiastical disciplines, wisdom in the exercise of authority, fidelity to the apostolic see and to the vicar of Christ. Many of the cardinals created by these pontiffs became popes themselves. Others distinguish themselves by their contribution to the government of the church. Others also deserve to be raised to the glory of the altars and to be proclaimed doctors of the church. In the same way, if we could ask the cardinals created by St. Gregory the Great, St. Pius V, Blessed Pius IX, St. Pius X, and Venerable Pius XII, how they conceived the dignity to which they had been elevated, they would answer without exception, who felt unworthy of the role they played and trusted in the help of the grace of state. All of them, from the most distinguished to the least known, considered it essential for their own sanctification to show proof of absolute fidelity to the immutable magisterium of the church, of heroic witness to the faith by preaching the gospel and defending the revealed truths, of filial obedience to the seed of Peter, vicar of Christ and successor of the Prince of the Apostles. If today someone were to pose those questions, to those who today sit on the throne of Peter and to those whom he has elevated to the cardinal's purple, he would discover to his great scandal that the appointment of a cardinal is considered to be on par with any other prestigious position in an institution, and that it is not the virtues required for that position that lead to the elevation of this or that candidate, but rather the level of corruption, blackmail, or belonging to this or that current. And the same, perhaps worse, would happen when assuming that, just as the things of God his ministers must be examples of holiness, in the things of Caesar, the rulers must be guided by the virtues of governance and move for the common good. End quote. He's not exactly wrong in that assessment either. He's on the money as far as I can tell. Notice that the personal loyalty to the man who sits on the throat of Peter is what is required now, not a loyalty to the office, or to the faith, or to her traditions, or anything else that might be a sign of outward sanctity. No, what is required now is a clear indication the prelate in question is loyal to the mission of a particular pontiff. And I'm not talking about the salvation of souls, the spreading of the missions, evangelization, and the rest. I'm talking here about the remaking of the church into a worldly image. It's really quite remarkable what passes as qualifications for the ministry of the church these days. Vigano reminds us of our duty in all this. Quote, It seems to me that here is the crux of the matter. Peter, do you love me more than them? See John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. I don't dare to think what Bergoglio would answer. I know instead what these characters would answer, dressed in the cardinal at just as Caligula conferred the Laticlavio on his horse in Citatus, despising the Roman Senate. I do not know him. Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62. Let it be the primary task of Catholics, laity and clergy, to implore the owner of the vineyard to come and do justice to the wild boars that devastate it. Until this sect of corrupt servants of the flesh are expelled from the temple, we cannot expect civil society to be better than those who should build it up and not scandalize it. End quote. 
Again, he's right. Until the church has its internal affairs in order, until the men in the highest offices are men of virtue, the world will not step back from the moral abyss that it is teetering on the edge of now. And the prelates of the church won't be able to do that until we, the laity, are worthy of it. By adopting penitential devotions, wearing the brown scapular as our Lady of Fatima indicated, and living holy lives in accordance with our station in life, God eventually will intervene. Not until we warrant it. So what do you think of all this? Is Vigano right? What about that bubble mask with rock concert? Should trads just lighten up and let people have their rock concert with the Eucharist? Or is Supich allowing that on purpose and with Francis's endorsement? And how about the placing of Cardinal Tagle over the bishops? Is that a tacit endorsement of him for the coming conclave? Well, let me know what you thought of all this in the comments, please, and like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.